0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Ericode Bites. My name is Anton Marshall. Today I'm talking to Dave Chislett once more in my ongoing quest to move my recording and songwriting project into the realm of profitability, perhaps, and also into a live sphere. Today we're talking about various income streams and how to try to think about monetizing your music.
1: Hey Anton, I'm back to bug you again and uh, this time it's <laughs> not going to be quite as vague as talking about where you're doing what you're doing. Uh, let's talk about money, dude. Eternal mm. question. The eternal question. So you've spent the last couple of years recording and releasing all of this music. Mm-hmm. Do you own all the rights to
0: all of this music? I do, yes. Can you prove it? Uh, in my case, yes, but... Um the there's there's a lot of music that I've done before that I might not be able to right, so how can you prove it? Can you explain that to us? Um uh, I write and register with the publisher, release the music the release mechanism that I released through actually um digitally copyrights the the recording side, yes, so that is taken care of. Uh, but in the terms of the composition, yes, I I I work with a publisher, but also I'm feeling I do my checkups with Samra and just to
1: make sure I've All got right. So just to break that into pieces, just having a publisher doesn't mean to say that your copyrights are taken care of. The publisher right, is right. registering the music, the composition
0: with Hopefully. Samra. Hopefully. Oh. I've a few things <laughs> that've gone through the cracks sometimes, but yeah, so you have to chase them sometimes, yeah. So.
1: Having your music registered at Semra, what does that give you in terms of income streams?
0: At the moment, nothing. Right. Yeah, absolute zero. So um, how
1: how how can it give you an income stream?
0: My understanding is is that they are a collection, uh, for lack of a better word, agency. A, a collection. But so should I should any of my music or my songs be broadcast or televised or that kind of thing? that SAMRIC as a collection agency should, in theory, collect royalty fees associated with those broadcasts. Correct. Good. I'm not sure if it takes care of things like if ever my my music gets used in films or television, I assume that's my publishers. Yeah, those uh, are
1: synchronization deals, which will generally involve a one-off payment or a payment plus some kind of... uh, separate royalty yeah. deal but that that won't go through Samro
0: yeah right okay um that is I can't think of any other way that Samro in particular should uh pay me okay so why do live music venues have licenses from Samro ah good question this I do know supposedly <laughs> live music venues are supposed to have uh, uh, Samro performance licenses and how that is supposed to work. I've never personally seen it work with all the artists I've ever played with or watched or dealt with. There's a bunch of paperwork that's supposed to happen whenever an artist plays live. Um and that is supposed to be sent off somewhere. But I if you know, to ask me the specific details about it.
1: Yeah. yeah. Cool. So Samura
0: actually polices
1: performance royalties, right? So a performance is defined as your composition being played. I, well, broadcast more specifically. And broadcast includes you yourself playing it live or your recording being played on the radio or TV. And so every single radio station, yeah, they don't submit uh, detailed playlists, although they can these days. It's done on a more sort of bulk negotiation. It's a little bit harder to track but for live performances, you should be filling in a live gig sheet detailing which songs you played on which date and which venue, and sending them all off to Samra. Because then what Samra does is they have a look at all those forms. And they go, wait a second, three of these venues aren't on our database. How could they be having live music and they don't actually have a performance uh, license? And then they go and knock on the door and they say to them, hey, you you, got, you know, you're here making money from beer and tequila and, and nachos chips and all of these guys playing music. Um, but you're not paying for that, right? You're not actually contributing to these guys making a living by allowing them to claim their performance royalties from us. In the early 2000s, I had some very interesting conversations with a couple of guys from some of the biggest rock bands in South Africa from the 90s who had spent 10 years basically gigging four nights a week and had never, <laughs> didn't even know they could mm. claim performance royalties.
0: Uh, that's um, And those are some of the big bands
1: out of the country, right? Yeah, yes, I'm not going to say who that is either. No, no, let's not listen One of them might be listening. Um, <laughs> and that's like, come on, you know, so if your aim is to achieve some kind of financial stability, we need to be talking about what are the income streams available to you. So right. performance royalties is one of them. Royalties, obviously, from sales is another. And that, I mean, in the day and age of, Digital streaming is probably enough to buy you, a, a I don't know, a box of Kleenex to dry your tears when you see your statement from, from them. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there's also needle time, right? So if you feature in a recording, if you physically have played an instrument on a song that you didn't write or you don't own in any way, but if you feature on the recording that's broadcast in any shape or form, you're also entitled to royalties. Right. So that also needs to be taken care of. And you know this is before you've even
0: played a gig or a negotiated a fee. So, so you're saying that that all these things taken into account, each of them is potentially quite small and minuscule, but you're talking about an aggregation of streams here. Right. right. So, yeah. So instead of no avenue, you actually have five or six of them. Should you bother to do the legwork to just yeah, get yourself exactly. in that track? Yeah. So, if your ultimate goal
1: here is to make a music project um, sustainable, there are structures in place that are designed exactly to do that. And yeah, look, you know, everyone's got a horror story about Samro, but the bottom line is there is no other player in the game. There is no one else collecting these royalties. So, you know, if you don't sign up with them, then you've got zero chance of earning anything. Whereas if you do sign up with them, at least you've got some chance of seeing some of that money at some stage. And then then you begin to realize, forget the fame and the ego getting your music played on radio is imperative because it earns you money Mm. so forget the national broadcasters go regional go community go niche go specialist shows but
0: get played and that uh, in this day and age as you're just saying in this day and age it doesn't limit you to your country either does it no it does not (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then when you know your song is
1: being played on online radio in in the czech republic or wherever tell Samra, right. tell them to go and ask build a relationship with a rep at Samra. is that easy to do you know so i don't right? know anymore um i i do know that it was always possible to make an appointment with a rep at Samra. you could always walk in the door and once you'd walked in the door once and you'd met someone then you have a name and then the next time you call, you ask them by name. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm sure it's not the easiest thing in the world to do, but it's also not impossible. It's doable. And, so,
0: and it's worth a try. And if you get it right, the rewards are worthwhile.
1: Right. You know, it's again, how much what do you want? How much do you want it? Are you going to let the no. fact that it's difficult to build a relationship with someone at Samro to kind of like get a better handle on securing your income stop you from securing the income? You know, and we haven't even got to. Selling T-shirts, you know, badges, stickers, all sorts of stuff.
0: You know, there used to be a thriving sort of side hustle with bands, as you would know, like when we would be going out to see bands in the 90s out here. Um, There'd always be some kind of merchandise going, even those little buttons and badges, two rand or one rand, or whatever the case may be. That seems to have really fallen away in the last two decades, doesn't it? Well, I suppose it's
1: no coincidence because so is attendance with live shows really falling away, um, and at the same time, as the platforms for, you know, original music that's not hugely mainstream have also been gradually evaporating. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the same token, you know, I remember when I was still playing in bands in, in the in the actual very early nineties when when like house hit hard. It obliterated everything. There were no venues anymore. There were no gigs. So if you're a rock band, you were screwed. But all that did was it just made people work harder and come up with new plans. And, and the live scene evolved and adapted because of that.
0: You know, and I think there's a
1: very good reason why a lot of music fans walked away from the rock scene after the 90s. And it was as simple as this. You, know, you want to go and see the latest big rock band who's on tour from wherever, and you pay whatever it was, 50 bucks to get in at the door. And that's it. You get 50 bucks. You go and you see maybe there's a support maybe Baby. Um, maybe there's two. Uh, and then there's the band's on for about an hour. And then the venue shuts like an hour after that. There's no DJ or anything. That's it. That's what you get for your 50 bucks. At the same time, you could buy a rave ticket for 80 bucks and there would be five stages chill out rooms fire jugglers stilt walkers and it would go <laughs> until eight o'clock the next morning you know your value for money <laughs> the return on your investment was just exponentially higher and i think for a lot of people they were just like but but this just you know this doesn't give me as as, as much of the good stuff i'm not doing this anymore mm. And mm-hmm. you know, when new technology hits your business, that's the challenge is to change your business model because if you don't, you're screwed. It's a really, really important thing to start thinking about is, is like, you know, the music industry is called an in industry actually bizarrely enough for a reason. In other words, it actually runs like a business. There is a money trail and there are percentages and there's a whole structure. And so if you're stepping out into that world, expecting to actually make a living out of it, you've got to know how it works. Mm, You know, no professional football player plays top flight football with no understanding of the offside rule. And yet I meet musicians all the time who are out there expecting to make money, expecting to be respected, and have no idea about how the mechanics of the financial side of the music industry work. That's just an attitude that is dooming them to failure.
0: And that's it for today. I hope you found something useful and I hope you join me next time for some more interesting insights into what it's going to take to move my project onto the next level. David Chislett can be contacted at www.davidchislett.com and you can check out more at my website www.errorcode.co.za